you don't have a Bible, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 37, uh, which is where we, will, uh, where we will be today. You know, we have been in uh, this series, and, and I hope, hope my, my hope and prayer, I have prayed really for all of us, that God would show us these things and, and solidify them in our hearts, because the incredible part about it is, is that they actually will really strengthen the heart of a person who is already a believer, and they will also help the one who's, who's not to understand, wow, that is the entire you know, direction theme of what, the, of what the whole Bible is about, which is remarkable when you think that the last book that was written in the Old Testament was about 440 years before Christ was ever born. That was Malachi. Some of them were written, you know, six, seven, Isaiah's around 740 years before Christ was born. You know, and then you take David all the way back to about, a, you know, a thousand years before Christ was born and you keep going back. And, and these are all things before the time of Christ. And yet down through the ages, God has painted pictures um, in people's lives. And we've, we called them, that's what the series is about, pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. And you know, up to this point, we've looked at several different things. And it, pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, for the most part, are, are objects, inanimate objects, or, or animate objects, however you want to put it. There's a, there's a Passover lamb, right? There's a, uh, there's a, there's a boat, right? Uh, that, that carries through the judgment, waters of judgment, right? That's a picture of Christ we've talked about. There's a snake on the pole, right? That's a picture of Christ. But today's is going to be different. Today's is going to be a person. Um, today's title is salvation. And, and the person is Joseph. Actually, Joseph is a picture of Christ. You'll see it. And uh, I think it's the reason that so much is written about Joseph. Um, you have to remember that there's a handful of chapters, you know, handful of chapters on on Abraham, you know, maybe one chapter on Isaac, you know, if, unless it dealt with Abraham, then, you know, a few chapters on Jacob. And then basically from chapter 37 through 50 is the account of Joseph's life. And it's, and it's an account so that, so that you can see something that God wants you to see. Remember, there aren't any wasted verses. The verses are there for you to see and to know and to understand. So <clears throat> you're going to see this today. And so I'm just going to need you. The, the term salvation is an interesting one or saved. You know, sometimes when we use words, especially in a, in a religious setting, if you will, a churchy setting, words get words get to be commonplace and then they get to take on a whole different meaning. And, but salvation, it's a picture. It's a picture that is obviously found in Joseph's life that is a picture of who Christ is and what he came to do. The cool part about today is not only is it who Christ is and what he came to do, but you're going to see the same thing in who Joseph is and what he came to do. That's what makes this a really cool parallel in this understanding of a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. So, so what is salvation? Salvation obviously is being in peril, right? Some sort of situation that has you in danger, peril, losing your life. And a savior or salvation is the process by something that, that delivers you from certain death, right, to life. 
So it's save, salvation, savior, whatever you want to call it. That's just the definition. And you're going to see it obviously in Joseph's life. So let's jump right in. Okay. And, uh, and I'm going to start off with a few things. And what I'm going to need you to do for about the first 10, 12 minutes, I just need you to hear me. Right. And, and, and if this is your first time, you go, ah, oh, he's reading into that. Just stay with me. Okay. Just hang with me as we walk all the way through it. And my thought is at the end, you're gonna go, wow, that is pretty incredible. That's, that's the goal, because I want you to see not just, not just a picture, but the picture. I know that sounds a little simple because there are many of them in Joseph's life. Joseph is perhaps the clearest, at least comprehensively, at least on a bigger scale, the clearest picture of Christ in the Old, in the Old Testament that there is. There are other pictures that shares who he is, what he came to do. But in Joseph, it shows both. It's pretty, it's pretty neat. So let's jump right in it. Number one, there'll be a few things I'll share with you. But number one, just starting out is what I'm going to call beloved son. Okay. The beloved son. Now, just giving you a little bit of background of Joseph's story. You have Abraham, then you have Isaac. We talked about that, you know, uh, it, especially there is a, there's a person, obviously Abraham. Isaac was a picture of Christ. And, uh, and when we talked about that, but there's Abraham, Isaac, and then Isaac had twin boys. We talked about last week is, the, is Jacob. Jacob, remember the ladder, right? The ladder is a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And so, and so you look then at Jacob, and Jacob, Jacob had, had all these sons who became the 12 tribes. God renamed Jacob to Israel, right? So you have the 12 tribes, right, of Israel. Israel is not so much of a nation as we call it today, but it was a person. So it's pretty interesting when you see it and when you put it all together. So you have then Jacob had, you know, when he ran for his life, which we talked about last week, he ran to his brother, his mother's brother's house, and he fell in love with this girl named, named Rachel. And, um, and Rachel, he loved Rachel, loved Rachel all her life. And he wanted to marry her, and so the dad set up a thing where he could work for seven years. And, uh, and you gotta really love someone, right? And so, and so when it came down to the, uh, when it came down to the wedding, somehow Jacob married the wrong girl. I don't know how that happens. It's an amazing story. It's one of the great mysteries of the Bible. But, but he marries her older sister. And that's not, who he, that's not who he wanted to marry, right? And so, and again, so it all had, so he winds up having both of them, right? As, as wives, right? It's not God's best. It's not God's plan. Never has been. Even Jesus said in the beginning, God wanted to be male, female, one, one for each. But in this particular case, you know, Jacob now has these, these two, two, two girls for wives and their sisters. Now, the older one, Leah, she, she had lots of kids, but Rachel didn't have any. And it really bothered Rachel. But eventually, after years and years and years, Rachel had a son. And I want you to understand that this, this boy's name, they named him, they named him Joseph, okay? And, uh, and Jacob loved this little boy, okay? Because it was the wife he loved, and those do not sound like good things, but that, it's not the best, but it is the way it was. And so, and so you had problems automatically, as you always will have problems when you go against God's best. But, 
But then Joseph came into the world. And I want you to know, in chapter 37, verse one, it says that Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old. Now you have to remember, he's got brothers in their 30s. So he's this younger guy, and yet he's a firstborn of his mother. And so, so Jacob kind of allows him to be the favored one, right? And, uh, and obviously he was plastering, you know, flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the, uh, with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. Those were the other wives. Long stories, not enough time to go into it, right? And Joseph brought a bad report. In other words, Joseph was extremely loyal to his father. And so he shared with his dad, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, it's interesting when you talk about Joseph, uh, Joseph is one of the few characters in the scriptures. When the scriptures share it about their characters, there's, it shares everything. But I want you to know that Joseph is one of the few. And I think it's a picture that God's painting. It's one of the few that there is no sin recorded in the scriptures about Joseph committing. That doesn't mean he was sinless. I'm not saying that. There's just not anything recorded. There's really only two. Uh, in the scriptures that were like that, that have any significant character. Uh, the first is Joseph, the other one's Daniel. Nothing, nothing is shared about, about Daniel, right? But Daniel's another great picture, but we're just not gonna have time to cover them all. And so anyway, so, so obviously he was extremely loyal to us. It says now Israel, that is Jacob, who's named Israel. Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons, right? Because he was the son of his old age. And it says that he gave him a coat or a robe of many colors. And again, the story of Joseph is beloved, right? It's a beloved story. It's been made many times over into movies, into, there's a Broadway musical, you know, some, I have never seen it, but a Technicolor dream coat or something. And there's all of these cartoons. I mean, it's been made into many different things because it's such a remarkable story. But basically, it said that Jacob, you know, Jacob loved him. And he was loved. And obviously, it becomes a picture. Again, just hang with me here. Matthew 17 is the transfiguration. We're talking about Jesus. And I want you to know that at the transfiguration, it says he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, right? And it said that a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So this was at the transfiguration. There was also another time in Jesus's life, at his baptism, if you remember, that, that a, the same voice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. All right, so we're starting off, this is just real simple. We're starting off, number one, just with the beloved son. So keep following. Number two is the betrayed brother, okay? Number two is the betrayed brother. Now, as you think about chapter 37, all right, and verse 23, I want you to know that, that obviously Jacob kind of kind of put Joseph in charge of all the older brothers, which isn't going to go well. If you're an older brother, you know what that means. And so, so it really, the favoritism really backlashed uh, on Joseph. It says that they, they hated him. They hated him. They couldn't even speak peaceably to him. And in fact, their hatred had, had grown so much is that Jacob sent uh, Joseph out to check on the brothers. And, and as he's going out, you know, he's He's, he finds them, and as, as he's walking up, they start plotting against him. And it says in chapter 37, verse 23, it says this, and when they saw Joseph, uh, 
And when he came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. There's a great picture here too of even this, when you're charting these together, of stripped him of his robe. Uh, the robe of many colors, all right? And it goes on down in verse 26. Now I want you to, want you to hear this. It says, then Judah, that is one of his brothers, Judah. In fact, uh, he overcame this. Judah became one of the leading tribes and was the lion, the tribe of Christ, right? Lion of the tribe of Judah, those type of things. But Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we just kill our brother, right? And try to hide his blood. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, right? And let not our hand be upon him. For, you know, for, for after all, he is our brother. You got like that, right? And, uh, and so anyway, for he's a brother of our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And the Midianite, all right, traders passed by and they drew Joseph up. That is, they dumped him in a pit. When he, they took the coat off of him and threw him in a pit. They pulled him up out of the pit and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. So number one, we have the beloved brother. Number two, we have the, the um, excuse me, the beloved son. Number two, we have the, uh, the, the obviously the betrayed brother, right? Now I want you to see something interesting here, right? I want you to know that Joseph was betrayed by Judah for 20 pieces of silver. And Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. So for those of you that are tracking and those of you who have ears to hear, I want you to watch how this picture of Christ is painted out throughout Joseph's life. You know, guys, I have taken as much as 16, 17 weeks to teach through the whole story of Joseph. I'm doing the entire thing in one day. And the only thing we're focusing on today is just the picture of Christ in the Old Testament. So you see, you have the beloved son, you have the betrayed brother, and isn't it interesting as you keep following it down, some of the other things that you're going to be able to see. Number three is what I'm gonna call the suffering servant. So you have then, you, you find out at the very end that this was God's plan. He took him, God took Joseph down this road on purpose. There wasn't anything that happened in Joseph's life, even though Joseph had to have felt his life was falling apart, and yet it was all part of a plan. It's an amazing thing when you look at it. But this suffering servant, well, what happened was, well, in Genesis 39, verse one, it says that Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites, right? Uh, who had brought him down there. So what does that mean? Well, just right? Just so happened, right? The captain of the guard, who was an extremely trusted, uh, wealthy, and influential man in Egypt. Um, why? Because he was the captain of the guard. He, he had the implicit trust of Pharaoh, and he guarded the, the palace and, uh, and the royal family, and basically the whole capital town where Pharaoh lived. So he had to be he had access to Pharaoh and he had to be extremely trusted. So the captain of the guard, being a wealthy guy, uh, he sees this, uh, this young kid, 17 years old. That's how old Joseph was when he was sold, betrayed by his brothers, right? And, uh, and he bought him, right? And it says here in verse two, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. Now, this is an amazing thing, but Joseph, 
Joseph, Joseph decided that, God, if I'm going to be a servant, slave, I'm going to be the best one I can be. And I don't have many time, I don't have a whole lot of time to take rabbit trails, right? But let's take one just for a second. You know, when you come to some of those, and all of us come to them, when you come to those unexplainable things in your life, that is when things seem to fall apart, that is when somebody really, really does you wrong, like his brothers here. I mean, at 17, I, mean, it's, I think it's a little harsh selling your brother into slavery, right? He has a choice. All of us have a choice. Are we going to get bitter and let it turn into hatred? Oh, are we going to keep saying, Lord, I'm just going to keep following you no matter what? It's not an easy thing to do. In fact, if, if you don't know who the Lord is in your life, in fact, sometimes I wonder if it's even possible to do. Because it's who he's called us to be because God's got a plan. Even through all of this, God had a plan. And it wasn't any of Joseph's fault. It was his brother's fault, but still he had to pay for it. It's an incredible thing to think about. So anyway, but it says that the Lord constantly was with Joseph. And it says, and he became a successful man. In other words, I mean, he, yeah, he was a slave, but he was a successful one, right? Uh, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, right? And that the Lord caused all that he did succeed. So Joseph found favor in his sight, that is Potiphar's sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So, so Joseph... Over the next couple of years, he starts out as, you know, slavery, but he, in his slavery, but he works himself up and to the point to where Potiphar puts him in charge, still a slave, but he's, in, he's overseeing, he's managing the affairs of Potiphar, Potiphar's, Potiphar's household. And so things are looking fine, looking great, but then again, it's a, it's a mess. It's part of why I call this a suffering servant, right? Because Joseph, it says, everything, I'm, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story now. It's all there if you want to read about it, right? In chapters 30, uh, 37 and 38 and 40, right? You can, read, you can read all about it. I'm just going to kind of tell it to you. So, so what happened then was, um, it says in the scriptures that Joseph was a, was, was a handsome fellow, right? And so I want you to know that the Egyptians, Potiphar's wife, um, the Egyptians were very seductive, if you've seen pictures, and they were, in, they were basically what we would call an immoral society, not unlike ours, being honest with you. But, you know, adultery was a commonplace thing, and it was just something, you know, sexual promiscuity, it was just, it was just Egypt. And anyway, so Potiphar's wife, you know, and usually a slave or a servant was at the mercy of those pretty interesting, you know, uh, those that owned them. And so anyway, Potiphar's wife approached Joseph, seduced him, right? Temptation, however you want to call it. There's so much to learn from this passage. But basically Joseph avoided her, tried to stay away from her, tried never to be alone with her, that kind of thing. And so, but one day it just happened that he shows up. He's at the house. She, they're alone in the house together. And she grabs his outer coat and and basically just straightforward, you know, basically says, you know, lie with me is what she says. And it's have a sexual relationship with me. And, and Joseph tells her, I can't. Number one, I'm not going to do that and sin against God. But number two, I'm not going to be disloyal to Potiphar. And so he basically tells her she's not worth it, right? And basically the thought here is it would have been much easier for him the easy road for him was to go ahead and sleep with her. That's the easy road. 
Why? Because it wouldn't have been his fault because he's a slave. It had been her fault. But he didn't take the easy road, took the hard road. And he says, no. And so he goes running out, she grabs him, he goes running out into the street, leaves his coat with her, and she accuses him of rape. And so now, uh, Joseph is thrown into prison. I mean, it's a mess. And accused of raping a high official's wife. Well, let me tell you what, if you're a servant at that time, the only reason I think that Joseph was not executed is that Potiphar probably knew. I mean, he, he knew who, he knew the wife he had, right? But he could not do anything. But do you know how long Joseph is going to be in prison? Right? All of his life. It's a, it's a life sentence, basically. I mean, how can a slave ever get out after he's been accused of raping a, this, a you know, high official's wife? So, so, so Joseph languishes in prison. And so if you look at his story, you're thinking, well, gosh, he must have done something wrong, right? There's no way that someone's life could fall apart that many times if they hadn't done something wrong. But no, God had a plan, all right? God had a plan. And it was through this suffering that God had this plan of something he was going to do. Why? Because he's painting a picture in Joseph's life for all of us to see, right? And so it was through Joseph's suffering, though. Now he's in prison, but he's an amazing guy. But if he says, God, if this is where you want me, then I'm going to be the best prisoner I could be. And it says that <laughs> as much as you can be, he rises up the rank as a prisoner, right? And uh, the jailers trust him. And, and give him responsibilities, and now he's overseeing a whole wing of the jail, all right? Even though he's a prisoner himself. And if you know the story, it's been well told, but you need to hear it all again in one sitting for you to see the entire picture, because it is remarkable. Because if God's taking you someplace, he has a plan. And sometimes waiting on that plan is not easy, because I want you to understand that Joseph was sold into slavery at age 17. And he was not exalted to, to regent until he was 30. So guys, we're talking 13 long years. And you know, one of the great questions you can, if you're a believer today, one of the great questions you can ask yourself is this, Lord, can I trust you even when you don't make sense? because there's always gonna be times in your life that don't make sense. Guys, this doesn't make sense. And you've got a choice, either I'm gonna do what I think's best or I'm gonna keep going with this plan even though it looks nuts to me. Because my bet is Joseph wouldn't have chosen this path for his life. My bet is, is that most of you in the room, okay, if you have a 13 year plan, probably most of you don't think of slavery in prison being in your 13-year plan. But God had, a, God had a path, a plan, a path, but he also had a picture. Ooh, I like that. A plan, a path, and a picture. All right. But it was a plan and a path that led to a picture. You see, he's not just taking Joseph through random things. He could have he, he easily done through Joseph what he wanted to do through Joseph without all this other stuff, 
But there was something you and I need to understand. There's something he needs you to see. And so through all of this, he's, he's in prison. And eventually, and I don't know what happened, but I'm going to call, call him the butler and the baker. They're thrown into prison. Well, what's the butler? Well, really, the Bible says he was the chief cupbearer to Pharaoh, which was a very, a very trusting, trustful, if you will, occupation. Basically, you just don't carry a cup around. Basically, you are the guy that's in charge of attending to Pharaoh. You're the guy that is, carries the cup. Basically, what it means is, is that you oversee the, the making of his food. You test all the food before you give it to him or the family so it's not poisoned, that kind of thing. He was a very trusted guy. Now, the baker makes sense, okay? And, I, and they both got thrown into prison. Who knows what the chief cupbearer did? I have no idea. How do you mess that one up, right? You understand how the baker gets thrown into prison, right? Burn the biscuits or food's terrible or, you know, whatever. But again, I don't understand. But they're both thrown into prison. And, and Joseph, they're, they're, they're put under the charge of Joseph, right? So he goes walking by and he just asks them. You got to love it. He asks them, hey, you guys look like you're downcast today. And both of them said, you know, yeah, well, you know, we've had these dreams. They have to remember that dreams were a big deal to Egyptians. I believe that's why God used them. Uh, in this particular case, because dreams were a big deal, big deal to the Egyptians, history tells us. So anyway, they both had dreams. And Joseph said, you know, hey, tell me your dream, whatever. And the cupbearer told him his, and then the baker told him his, and he says, well, I got good news and bad news, all right? This is my paraphrase. It's all there in the Bible if you want to read it. I got good news and bad news. He told the chief cupbearer, in three days, you'll be restored to your position, but he told the baker in three days, you'll be hanged. And it happened just as Joseph said it would. And so as the chief cupbearer is on his way out the door, right, to go back into the, serve the presence of Pharaoh, Joseph said, hey, could you do me a favor? Could you remember me? Right? Could you remember me? When you go back in front of Pharaoh and tell him about my situation, I've done nothing wrong to be where I am. <laughs> you know, sure, Joseph, as he's on the way out the door, and says the, and the Bible says that the chief cupbearer forgot. And so years go by as Joseph languishes in prison. Who knows what's going to happen? But as you know, if you know the story, if you don't, let me tell it to you. Pharaoh has a dream. Now, see, God's planned all this. God can do anything he wants to in your life anytime he wants to do it. And so... He gives Pharaoh a dream, several dreams, but they all mean the same thing. And nobody can tell Pharaoh what they mean. And, and at least not to his satisfaction. And so finally then, you know, the cupbearer is always around Pharaoh, right? And finally it dawns on him, oh, hey, Pharaoh, I remember a guy when I was prison that you put me there. I remember a guy that I had this dream and so did the baker. And he told us and it happened. Pharaoh says, bring him. And so it says that they cleaned Joseph up. You have to understand the Egyptians were an interesting people. They basically shaved their hair, their eyebrows, 
they had never had facial hair. That's why you see the pictures of the paint and the, and the shaved heads. And they were just, they were, they were an interesting group of people. Anyway, so they cleaned Joseph all up and brought him before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh tells Joseph, hey, listen, I've heard that you, uh, that you can tell what dreams mean. And, and Joseph said, I can't. But God can. And, um, and if he decides to use me to share it with you, then that's what's going to happen. So he introduces the Lord into it pretty much right on. I think that's part of the reason for some of Pharaoh's responses. So what happens? Well, he tells him the story, you know, about the cows, the fat cows and the skinny cows, seven of them. And, and then the sheaves, right, which are just bundles of grain. And basically the story says this. He tells him the dreams and then Joseph said, he, this is what Joseph says to Pharaoh. He says, say, Pharaoh, let me tell you something. Um, you've been blessed. The Lord himself has allowed you to get an eye look into the things that are going to happen. Here's what it means. There's going to be seven years of plenty, right? Bumper crops, economy's going to really, really do well. They're gonna be followed by seven years of famine. And you know how people act, okay? Maybe some of us are guilty. But when, when things are going real well, when there's just excess, then, you know, people are rarely wise, right? They usually, when they're doing real well, they usually buy things they don't need, right? And they, there's a lot of waste that happens in time of excess. Well, that's what happened, was going to happen here. But it, what it said was, is that the seven years of famine will swallow up the excess and will still be, still be skinny, still be thin, right? So Joseph looks at him and says, listen, I want you to understand, Pharaoh, God's showing you these things. Here's what I would do if I were you. I would get somebody and, when, and, and go around. And I, would start, I would start building storage, storage bins to prepare for the coming famine, right? And he lists all the things that he would do as he shared these things with him. And Pharaoh was enamored. God set this up. But Pharaoh knew in his heart, that's it. That is what is, is it. And without the, obviously the, without the Egyptians, you know, belief in dreams, at least the superstition of them, you know, it may not have happened, but God knew that. And so God set it up to have a situation to where Pharaoh had a problem that only Joseph could answer. It's pretty interesting how God put that together. And so he's enamored. Now, I want you to understand that this suffering servant goes from suffering servant to, number four, exalted sovereign, which is a ruler, a regent, whatever you want to call it. And I want you to see that it, that it was a path in order to be where God wanted him to be. He had to go through what he had to go through. Why? God's painting a picture of who Christ is and what he came to do. It's the same concept. So let's read about it though, before I, before I go along and let's just read what it says. Chapter 41 in verse, in verse 37, it says, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants, right? And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a guy? Is there anybody like this that God works through? That's obvious that God works through him? Pharaoh said to, jo to Joseph, hey, since God has shown you this, there is none so discerning as you, right? And you're going to be over my house and you're going to be in over all the people, right? Shall order themselves as you command. Uh, only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have put, you know, I've, I've set the land of Egypt over you, over all of the land of Egypt. Most powerful nation of its time. And then Pharaoh took a signet ring off and he put it on Joseph's hand. What's a signet ring? Well, the best equivalent that any of us may have is a credit card, all right? Because Joseph was going to need a whole lot of resources and a whole lot of authority to do what he was going to need to do. And Pharaoh gave it all to him by taking one ring off. With that ring, he could basically get whatever he needed he could get whatever labor he needed, whatever materials he needed, and whatever authority he needed to do whatever he needed to do. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. He clothed them in garments, right, of fine linen, put a gold chain around his neck. You know, the Egyptians were interesting people. And we're not talking about just a chain. If you've ever seen the Egyptian garb, you know, in movies, it's a wide thing. And the different colors denoted rank. So it was, a, it, was a, it was a rank, symbol of rank, okay? And it said that he made him ride in the second chariot. And this is, this is classic, all right? And, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Okay, so now he gets this BMW chariot, right? And so, and Pharaoh commands that everywhere Joseph goes, People have to stop and bow the knee. Now, this is, this is incredible to think about. So, so moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I'm Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt. Okay, that is power, all right. But he goes from beloved son to betrayed brother it's a plan, it's a direction to suffering servant. And through his suffering, God, if you will, have elevated him to a position of absolute power. It's pretty amazing. So when you put these things together, let's read the rest. So the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, and Joseph, as just as Joseph has said, right? And then there was a famine in all the lands. Uh, um, there was famine in all lands, but in, uh, in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. Now, just to throw a couple of things out to you for you to think about. Now, why was there bread in Egypt? Because of Joseph. And when all the land of Egypt, verse 55, was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh, we don't have any bread, right? And what did Pharaoh say? Go talk to Joseph, all right? Go talk to Joseph and you do whatever he tells you to do. So when the famine spread throughout the land, right? Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Jesus, excuse Jesus. That's, that's actually a good, a good slip. All the earth came to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. So then, we'll get to this in a minute, but I just want you to see it. So Joseph became a savior of the world. For those of you who have ears to hear. And as we look at this, 
the path that he took. I don't want you to miss it. What was the path that Joseph took? What was the path that God led him down? But God's painting a picture. So those of you who have ears to hear, those of you that want to know can see it and know that God's plan is his plan. Philippians chapter two is one of the greatest pictures. And a lot of times it's not understood because it fails to see the pictures of Christ in the Old Testament as being fulfilled in who Christ is and what he came to do. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter two, verse five, and let's read this together. And I want you to think as I read this, I want you to think of the story of Joseph, but really what we're talking about here is Jesus. Paul's talking about who Jesus is. And, and Paul says this, have the mind among yourselves. If you're a believer here today, have the mind of Christ, which is yours in Christ, Jesus, right? Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Therefore, he was God in the flesh. That's what the word manual means, Emmanuel, God with us. Who, in the thought of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, right? But he made himself nothing, or he lowered himself. And what did it say that he did? He took on the form of a servant, being a beloved son, being who he was, he lowered himself, became one of his own creation. And not just part of his creation, but he took on the role of a servant, but not just any servant, a suffering servant, right? Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Being who Jesus is, and was, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God's what? Highly exalted him, right? That the name of, of, of Jesus, right? giving him a name that's above every name, but the name of Jesus, every knee bow and every tongue confess. Is that not what happened to Joseph? He rides around in his BMW, right? And everybody, every time he passes, they have to bow, right? So you have this, you have this picture in Joseph's life that is astounding. If you have eyes to see it and ears to hear. See, I've always, I've told you this now for weeks. I've only got one more week we're gonna do this series. So. You can only hear this one more time. Guys, it's all there in the Bible if you want to know. Well, I just want to know the truth. Do you really? Because it's there. If you just want, if you want to know. I have just found, it's been my experience, most people I share Christ with that, that don't want to know, it's not that, they, it's not that they don't understand, it's that they don't want to know. They come up with all kinds of stuff, stupid stuff sometimes, weird stuff. In other words, it's there if you want to know it. That's why the Bible says, if you seek, you'll find. Why? Because it's there if you want to know it. So, <laughs> so basically, you've got, in Philippians, you've got this incredible picture of who he was. He lowered himself, took the form of a servant, not only a servant, but a suffering servant, a path that he was going to take in order that he could do what he did, became obedient to death on the cross, cross so that God could highly exalt him. 
God did. Give him a name that's above every name. And that he might make a difference because of the, the suffering he went through, the servant and suffering he went through, is that he had a right, if you will. He had power to be able to make a difference in everybody's life. Which brings us to number five is what I'm gonna call the forgiving savior. You know, what made Joseph, Joseph? He, he was one remarkable guy. And I don't, again, like I say, I don't know that there's any greater picture of Christ in the Old Testament than Joseph. But, so what happened was, is that, you know, Joseph is selling grain, you know? It says that he built so many warehouses and granaries, it says they were without number. So obviously the, he had plenty. And people would come to him to buy food. And eventually, Joseph's father, Jacob, and the brothers, they ran out of food. So they came to Egypt and bought food, right? And Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him, which is not hard to imagine. Joseph was 17, right, when they sold him into slavery. And um, he was 30 years when he ascended to regent, there were seven years of plenty, that's 37, we're two years into the famine, so Joseph's 39, okay? You change, just look at your high school graduation picture, right? But even the appearance of an Egyptian is much different than a, a bearded shepherd out in Canaan, right? So they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. And he tests them and does, again, there's not enough time to share everything through the story, but he tests them and he talks, you know, and he sends them back with food, and, but keeps one of them. And then another group comes back and he, you know, hangs Benjamin, which was his little brother out to dry. <coughs> and, um, and basically he couldn't stand it any longer, you know, and emotions overwhelmed him. And this next passage under this forgiving savior, there's two or three things in here, guys, that are so powerful. And my prayer is, is that you'll get them. You'll grasp them for what they really are. And it says in chapter 45, verse four, Joseph was overwhelmed with emotion. If you know anything about the story, this is kind of the, a, real, a real point, right? Real changing point for the whole thing. And and they all come in, right? And, and Joseph has everybody leave but his brothers. And he says, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, he says, I'm, I'm your brother. I'm Joseph. And <laughs> how would you like to have been the brothers, right? And I don't think they believed it at first. But then how would this guy know anything about Joseph, right? He says, you, you sold me into Egypt. And listen to what he says to them. He says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to save your life. Right? God sent me. Yeah, what you did was wrong, was evil. But God has used what you did was evil, the cross, the crucifixion, the trial. Yeah, that was evil, but God had a plan in it. And it was that plan through that suffering and through that sacrifice 
it's going to save your life. Are you charting with me? And so you had then this picture of him telling them this. All right, and he goes on to say, for the famine, you know, it's been two years, and there's gonna be five more years where there's not gonna be any grow, growing or harvesting. And in verse seven, as God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So he became, so he became their savior the ones, very ones who had betrayed him. Now, now guys, there's, there's, it's something to be a savior. That understanding, when you hear the word savior, I don't know that there's a greater picture in all the Bible of the word savior than with Joseph's story. Because he was not only the savior of his brothers, but he was the savior of the whole world, or at least, you know, through the famine. So God put this picture together for you to understand. But the, but the particular part of the brother's story is something you'll also need to understand because it teaches us something that sometimes very few people know and can never really truly understand. And it has to do with the very end in chapter 50, and we're just about to be done. But in chapter 50, I want you to know a lot of years have gone by and Joseph's father dies, Jacob, who's named Israel, he dies. And, and when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, you know, what if, what if Joseph has been biding his time all these years until dad died? Now, that was not in Joseph's heart. I have found that what you suspect others of is probably something you would have done if you were in the situation, all right? And they just couldn't believe that Joseph could truly forgive them for what they'd done to him. And so what did they do? Well, it may be that Joseph will, you know, hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. And so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave a command before he died. Okay, this is a lie, a big fat lie is say to Joseph, please forgive your brothers, right? Of the transgressions and the evil that they did to you. And now please forgive them, right? The, we are the servants of God, your father. And listen to how Joseph responded to this. He saw through all of it. He's not a dummy. And what did he do? He wept. He'd forgiven them years ago, but these guys never lived in the freedom of that forgiveness. There's something to be learned from all of us, guys, is that if truly you are a believer here today, you are forgiven, whether you feel like you are or not. And there is great, there is great freedom in living in forgiveness. And Joseph cried because of the bondage they'd been living in, living in unforgiveness. It's an incredible part of the story, but we have to move on. And so... He wept, and so his brothers, they all came and freaked out, you know, and they fell down. Well, behold, we're your servants, you know, and all this. And Joseph says, don't be afraid, for am I God's place here? As for you, he says this, you meant evil for me, but God meant it for good and to bring about that many people should be saved, right? Because of what God did through me, it was a plan through me to save the lives of many people, including you. Do you get it? It's as clear as it comes. And he goes on and tells them, you don't have to be afraid 
okay? You are forgiven completely. I will provide for you and for your families. And they were treated like royalty, not because they deserved it, but because they were Joseph's brothers. They were given the best of everything, not because they deserved it, because they were Joseph's brothers. Let me explain some terms to you. And in this case, my hope is you'll see it. Number one is the term justice. Justice is getting what you deserve. I've talked to you about this before, but this is gonna show you, all right? Mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. But I'm here to tell you in this particular case, this is gonna help some of you. In this particular case, mercy is not enough. Mercy is not enough. Why? Because not getting what they deserve is not gonna help them. The only thing that's gonna help them is what? Grace. Because what is grace? Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. And they did not deserve Joseph's kindness. They did not deserve the food that he could give them and take care of them with. So when you understand grace, it's an incredible thing to think about. I don't know if there's anything more humbling than having your life saved by the one that you betrayed. Such love, such grace. It, sometimes it boggles the imagination to even truly understand it. But guys, it is God's message to you. A couple of verses I want to, uh, want to read to you. John 4, 42, this is a woman at the well. This is uh, when, they, when the people said, hey, it's no longer because of what you said that we now believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that indeed Jesus is the savior of the world, All right? Again, there's more to it there and there's just not enough time, but I, there's a couple of verses I want you to be able to look at on your own later. John 5, verse 34. Now that the testimony that I receive is, is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. Look at what Jesus said in chapter five, verse 39. He says, you guys, he's talking to the religious leaders. He says, you guys search the scriptures because you think that in them you find or have eternal life. He says, but what do they say? All they do is talk about me, Jesus said. They bear witness of me. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus saying those are all in the scriptures because these people didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the old. He says, these, these, these Old Testaments have been talking about me for generations, right? And Jesus looks at him and says in verse 40, though, yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Interesting what Jesus says there, right? So, so as I finish up, let me, well, I've got one other one to share with you. Look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10. It says, concerning the scriptures, I'm sorry, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Oh, so the Old Testament, that's the prophets, they've been talking about who I was and what I was going to do. And what does that look like? Grace that was to be yours. That is something that you can't live without and you don't deserve. That becomes the picture, right? That was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person, obviously, these prophets did of 
or the time, the spirit of Christ, and there was indicating the predicting the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Therefore, the suffering servant and the exalted sovereign. You see it in the same verse, right? So again, it was revealed to them, uh, but they were not serving themselves, but you and the things that they have now been announced to you. So I've got to, I've got to be done. All right. So when you when you look at this 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 story, this picture of Christ in the Old Testament. It is one of those things because that is God's message to you. You know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, Jeff, that's, you know, I got, that's just what Baptists think, you know, you're about, no, listen to me. This is not, this is his message. This is why I wanted to say pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. I have to be honest, I, the denominational thing just just causes people to be confused. One time somebody said to me, you know, Jeff, do you believe that only Baptists are going to heaven? I said, no, not really. I said, and I think there's a lot of Baptists that aren't going. Uh, But let me tell you what, you're not going to heaven because you're a Baptist, Methodist, Catholic. You're going to heaven because you put your faith and trust in who Christ is and what he came to do. Does that make sense to you? It's his message to you guys. It's It's not some religious thing. It's his message, and it's a message of not of religious duty or religious rituals. It's a message of trusting him by grace through faith. It's all over the Bible. It is what it is. So I'm past time, so I've got to be done. I just want you to be sure. We're going to finish this up next week. Next week's Mother's Day, we're going to do Ruth, and you'll see the kinsman redeemer shine. Right? It's just such a great picture. You'll see that next week. But as I close today, God, this is his message. So the question I have for you, has there ever been a time in your life that you've understood who Christ is and what he came to do? The pictures are there. The question is, do you want to know? If you are a believer, it should strengthen your faith the more you see that God's message is confirmed over and over again down through the ages. But if you're not, then remember, it's his message to you. This church and no church owns this message. It's his message. And it's the picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And it's the picture of Christ of who he is, what he came to do. I talk about it all the time. So as I close today, right, the message and the chance to respond is always open to you. At any time, not just in a service. His message is is to you. I put my faith and trust in him driving down an interstate. It hasn't even to do with in here, but it can be. So what is it other than just saying, Lord, I understand who Christ is, what he came to do, right? I put my faith and trust in that, and that's what I'm going to follow. That's who I'm going to be.